0: Welcome to Question Period. I'm Evan Solomon. Look, it's been a hard week for Canadians, for all of us, but especially for our brothers and sisters in Nova Scotia. The strain of COVID-19 has been added to by the worst mass shooting in Canadian history. Today we're going to cover all the questions that must be asked, questions that some families of the victims are demanding answers to. And there is a relevant need to explore the motive and the actions of the suspect but to do it without glorifying him in any way. Our hearts are with the families of the victims, with their communities in Nova Scotia, and with the RCMP officers who fearlessly work to keep us safe. So today on the program, we begin with hard questions.
1: Such a tragedy should have never occurred. Violence of any kind has no place in Canada. We stand with you, and we grieve with you,
0: a gunman went on a 13-hour spree in Nova Scotia ending the lives of 22 Canadians. So why wasn't the public notified with an emergency alert? And how did the shooter get the weapons? Former Deputy RCMP Commissioner P.Y. Bourdois and former Ontario Provincial Police Commissioner Chris Lewis are here with some answers. And then, rent relief?
1: We've reached agreements with all provinces and territories to lower rent by 75%. For small businesses that have been strongly affected by COVID-19 for April, May and June.
0: Small businesses will soon get a deep discount on rent under a new subsidy program announced by the Prime Minister. If businesses do get rent relief, should everyone else? And how will this work? Small Business Minister Mary Ng is here with the details. Plus, back to business.
2: We have to find the middle ground that continues to keep our case numbers low and keep Saskatchewan people safe while at the same time allowing for businesses to reopen and Saskatchewan people to get back to work.
0: Saskatchewan is the first province to lay out its path back to some kind of normal with a five-phase plan to reopen their economy. But is the province actually ready? And what about the rest of the country? Saskatchewan's Premier Scott Moe will join us with his plan and...
1: I have been... Uh, disgusted by the way that Justin Trudeau and his team has handled the coronavirus pandemic.
0: Did a conservative candidate cross a line when questioning the loyalty of Chief Public Health Officer Dr. Theresa Tam? Former Public Safety Minister Ralph Goodale and former NDP leader Tom Mulcair will weigh in on all this on the scrum. This is Question Period. Let's go get some answers. So rent relief is coming for some small and medium-sized businesses hit hard by the COVID-19 virus. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau says the government will provide property owners with forgivable loans covering 50% of a tenant's rent if they cut rent for struggling businesses by 75%. That's on top of the government loans, the wage subsidy, the income tax deferrals the government has already introduced. So will all this financial aid help small businesses reopen once the pandemic has passed, or is it already too late for some? Let's find out. Small Business Minister Mary Ng joins us to talk about all that. Hope you and your loved ones are well, Minister. Good to see you. Can you tell us what businesses will actually qualify for this rent support and when it will kick in?
3: Uh, 75% uh, reduction for small businesses, those that have rent that is $50,000 or less each month. And this uh, rent relief is for those that are hardest hit. So uh, you and I walk around neighborhoods and you're seeing restaurants and and hair salons that are closed. So those who have seen a 70% reduction in revenue is what this covers. And it's for April, May, and June of this year.
0: Is the barrier of 70% reduction too high? I mean, once you're 70%, you're basically toast. Like, why not make it 50%? There's other, uh, that just seems like a very high bar.
3: Well, we wanna make sure that uh, that those who are the hardest hit are getting the support, but we've also put lots of other supports out there for businesses as well. I mean, people can go to a lending support, uh, whether it's the $40,000 business loan or, or loans that are a little larger, Uh, for them to manage the the cash flow through the spirit or through, you know, the operating costs that they need. So this is really to make sure that, uh, you know, that we're putting it out there and that landlords, I mean, landlords are also businesses as well. And if your businesses, if your tenant businesses are seeing significant revenue loss, you're not getting any of that rent either. I get that,
0: but but no one's paying if they've lost 50% either. So let me ask you, let me ask you, uh, many businesses are going to shutter anyway. Uh, how fast can this money get there to prevent massive closures who will never recover?
3: Well, it covers April, May, and June. It's going to be operational by about mid-May. We're asking landlords that, uh, that they should exercise uh, you know some flexibility. I know lots of landlords around the country already are, and that's what this is as well. But it'll cover April, May, and June and uh, give those businesses uh, that, uh, that assurance that that, uh, that that help is on the way. In addition to the many, many other measures that we have put out there, what's the goal? The goal is to save our businesses and to save jobs and to help Canadians.
0: Right. Uh, many people are also struggling to pay their rent. And There's a lot of people say, okay, that's the small business, the restaurant, as you say, whatever the, the small business is, the hardware store. What about me? Uh, if you can make a deal with the provinces and territories, will this be extended to the average Canadian who is struggling to pay their rent?
3: Well, we've put other measures out there uh, for families and for Canadians who are struggling because of COVID-19 and've seen their income uh, you know decreased, I mean to a decreased or completely uh, decline um, or go to nothing during COVID-19. So we've added you know uh, payments to the Canada, uh, child benefit for families, as an example. The Canada Emergency Response Benefit provides support uh, for individuals who have seen their uh, income, de- income decrease uh, during right. this period. But so I, I understand
0: there's lots of support, but businesses are getting a lot of support, and then they get this added. There's a lot of folks out there that will say, you know, I'm getting the $2,000 a month from the Canadian Emergency Response Benefit, but I'd also like a break on rent. Rent's the biggest cost for a lot of people.
3: Well, I mean, we're going to keep listening to people and to Canadians. The whole point about this uh, this entire period, as Canadians are asked to do some very extraordinary things to flatten the curve, we're, we still have to stay physical distancing. We still have to all right. practice all those measures right now to flatten the curve and to keep people safe. And this is having a real impact. I don't think that the work is done. We're going to keep working with people and certainly with businesses so that we can weather through this period we know that when businesses are together with their employees and that the businesses are intact we have a much stronger footing uh you know on that road to recovery when it's safe to do so Uh,
0: minister ing students are getting some money up to twelve hundred fifty dollars a month that was announced last week Uh, most folks who are applying to the canadian emergency response benefit two thousand dollars a month Seniors on disabilities, though, they're getting significantly less. And it's raising the question, why are there different levels of funding for different people? Does it seem overly complicated and, again, fair? Why are the students getting less than, the, than someone else and the seniors are getting less? Why not have just one base thing that's fair and it's easier to manage?
3: Well, I think uh, if you look at how we put this out together at the very beginning, at the very beginning it was about helping people stay at home, look after people who are at home and making sure that you had the CERB out there. For seniors, for example, um, they, by and large, do get support through OAS and uh, uh, through other supports for our seniors. So we knew that the seniors were getting that predictable income, but we did need to have to deal with that family who all of a sudden saw themselves with no income and having to stay at home and self-isolate.
0: Let me just switch topics for a minute um, to another big, big issue on COVID-19. This week, Canada found out, and credit to the Global Mail, who broke the story that China had shipped a million defective masks to our country. We paid for them. So, A, how does that happen, and does that mean that Canada should be trusting personal protective equipment uh, equipment that we're paying for uh, shipped to Canada? Are they going to refund the money?
3: Well, um, we are working really hard to make sure that we get as much PPE into the country. Uh, as a government, we are making sure that we are procuring these. Uh, we have seen, um, you know, many, many millions of, uh, you know, masks and other PPEs that have come into Canada and that are being checked by PHAC. Uh, by I know, Pihac. but we
0: can get, uh, if we're ordering a million masks that are defective, A, who, who supplied that? Are they giving Canada back the money? And that's useless stuff to us. So how often is that happening? Like, what is, the, uh, what is the check and balance system that Canada is deploying to get materials from China that may be defective?
3: We're going to continue working on, um, you know, on refining the way in which we are procuring and making sure that that due diligence and that quality, quality control is done. The most important thing is to make sure that we get PPEs into the country. And that we actually do have a system and we indeed do by Public Health Canada to review okay. the material that comes in and that they aren't distributed to our frontline okay, health care. Can, can, can you
0: reassure Canadians that whoever supplied a million defective masks, that Chinese supplier, we're not using them anymore?
3: We definitely are not using them uh, if, uh, if they don't pass through uh, the uh, Public Health of Canada's um, due diligence.
0: Okay, they so, that, go, so, so you're saying that so that supplier's off the list now of those masks?
3: We're gonna keep doing the work that we need to do to make sure that we get good supplies, adequate supplies, and get them checked through uh, PHAC before they get out into, uh, into our frontline healthcare workers.
0: Will your government do an investigation into how China released information about COVID-19?
3: I think that what is in front of us right now is to make sure that we do everything possible to flatten this curve and to help keep Canadians safe and uh, to ensure that we have the many, many measures that we have put out to help our Canadian businesses and our entrepreneurs to make sure that they stay together, uh, to make sure that we have businesses that are primed for recovery when it's time to do so. I think that is the work that is ahead of us. The, we are not out of the woods, so we need to be continue to be vigilant to flatten this curve.
0: Last question for you, the tragic events in Nova Scotia, and we're all mourning with our brothers and sisters in Nova Scotia, but one of the issues that's highlighted is, does Canada need a national protocol as to when to use emergency alerts in dangerous situations? Will your government institute a national policy so there's no more misunderstanding? We've had Moncton, we've had Mayor, we've had all sorts of these terrible situations. Now this is the worst one. Do we need a national standard, and will your government do that?
3: Well, my heart goes out to uh, everyone in Nova Scotia, and this is a terrible tragedy. And uh, and I think that uh, the, the person better able to answer that maybe my colleague, uh, Minister Blair. But certainly, what the government has committed to do is uh, to ban on uh, assault weapons, and uh, this is work that I think we need to uh, pursue and to continue to do. We committed to Canadians, we would. Um, and uh, my heart just really goes out to. Right. All of uh, all of our extraordinary Canadians in uh, Nova Scotia.
0: All right, I got to leave it there, uh, Minister. I always appreciate your time and our conversation. Thank you so much.
3: Thanks so much, Evan. And uh, be safe and talk soon.
0: Yeah, you too. All right, coming up on the program as Nova Scotians grieve the loss of 22 people killed in that horrific wave of violence. Questions, hard questions, are being asked about how the gunmen managed to plan the rampage, why the provincial government or the RCMP did not send out an emergency alert about an active shooter sooner. Former RCMP Commissioner P.Y. Bourdois and former OPP Commissioner Chris Lewis join us next to tackle some of those questions. Stay right here with Question Period. Twenty-two Nova Scotians tragically lost their lives last weekend in the shooting and arson spree, the worst mass killing in Canada's history. And look, well, nobody doubts the bravery of the RCMP men and women who rush into harm's way to protect our lives every day, and especially the heroic work of Constable Heidi Stevenson, who was killed tragically trying to protect the people of Nova Scotia. She's the best example of that kind of bravery. Still, these devastating events are raising very difficult questions. Why was no emergency alert issued to warn the public about a killing spree that lasted almost 13 hours? Do rural communities have enough RCMP resources to protect them from this kind of threat? Let's find out. I'm joined now by former RCMP Deputy Commissioner P.Y. Bourdois and former Ontario Provincial Police Commissioner and current CTV uh, Public Safety Analyst Chris Lewis. Gentlemen, always a pleasure to have both of you on the program. Uh, P.Y., let me just start with you. The question that most Canadians are asking, they get these emergency alerts for an amber alert, uh, for a tornado, for COVID. Why was an uh, emergency alert not given in 13 hours to the citizens of Nova Scotia?
1: Well, the
4: uh, initial responders, uh, their main concern was of course, to address the scene, the chaos, uh, the carnage that they actually witnessed when they first attended. And then there's just one road going, uh, going in and out of the, the scene there. and the, uh, according to the RCMP, they were uh, within an hour, hour and a half, they were about 25 uh, RCMP uh, personnel on location. Uh, they were looking at a two uh, square kilometer area, wooden area, and they cordoned off the area. And they 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 were under the impression that the uh, the uh, gunman was still located in that specific area. Hence, the reason why they uh, they thought that they had uh, contained uh, the gunman and, and and the area. They had cordoned off the area, so. Uh, they were under the impression that everything was cordoned enough. The problem, though, is that at 6.30, when the, uh, the girlfriend actually showed up, the scene there, from the wooden area where she was hiding, uh, that's when she provided enough information for the officers to know that they were dealing with someone that had a replica of a, a mark a police car and was dressed as an RCMP officer. So, uh, between, according to the RCMP, between uh, 7 and 8 o'clock, uh, they knew uh, who they were dealing with, and they thought they had contained the area, right. which obviously was not the case.
0: But, uh, Chris, I mean, we know the gir- this is the girlfriend who was beaten and handcuffed and then gave the police warning. But that still was hours and hours and hours and hours left in the killing spree, unfortunately. People didn't get warning. The U.S. consulate warned their citizens of danger in an email. Canadians got a tweet. Um, Chris, what do you make of that?
5: Well, you know, uh, I certainly think they should have in hindsight, maximize the communication. But at the same time, and and it's not an excuse at all, Evan, but the reality is that comm center's never been faced with this before. And those other alerts that have gone out on COVID and other things haven't come from the RCMP. Those are, are, you know, EMO type uh, situations. So they didn't think of it. They did what they normally do. They put it out on social media and, and they continued on dealing with the worst tragedy they've ever dealt with. So, I mean, this is a lesson learned for sure. Uh, going forward, it's a policy issue and a training issue, uh, but you know it's it's a tough one to really second guess given everything that's right. happening.
0: Although to be fair, Py uh, the Premier and I've spoken to him. They had their own center standing by, waiting to get the order from the RCMP to get it there. Clearly, the province was just waiting to utilize that tool, and it wasn't used. The other factor is, uh, and Py. This guy was dressed as a cop. He had an RCMP uh, uniform on. He had a replica car. How easy is it for people to get hold of that stuff?
4: Well, it's again uh, on the average, the uh, the RCMP would would report uh, over a period of a year uh, about uh, two hundred uniform going missing or uh, or even like stolen. Uh, but it's it's certainly not easy. Uh, you'll you'll be able as a collectioner, to buy you know a few. Uh, Replica or, or you know memorabilia from the RCMP, but on the overall, it's not something that is easy to obtain uh, online. You know, so uh, uh, there's a lot of questions that are unanswered, and hopefully the investigations will uh, will provide answers to uh, to the community that uh, wants to know.
0: Chris, uh, the big question, Justin Trudeau says, you know, we are eventually going to pass some gun control legislation on this. We don't even know. I know some of the guns came from the U.S. We don't know really much more than that. But uh, is that a big issue, where this guy got the guns and would gun control, would, you know, here we go back again to the, the long gun registry, would that have made a difference?
5: Well, you know, we don't know. Well, Once we find out where those guns came from, how we acquired them, Uh, Then we will have to look at where there are loopholes in the gun control system that allowed that. Uh, I really, you know, at face value, one handgun and some long guns. Uh, I I don't know that changing the laws is going to uh, change what occurred there. I mean, ultimately, going forward, hunting rifles are hunting rifles. Handguns are wrong. They shouldn't have them unless they're, you know, they've proven to be not criminals and and not dealing with serious mental health issues. that makes them a threat. But regardless, I mean, it, the Young Street attack with a car re- resulted in a whole pile of awful deaths, uh, and he didn't have a gun. So I don't know that this is a big gun control discussion.
0: Interesting. PY, the other issue, and I think this is uh, critical, the RCMP resources, are they adequately resourced in rural areas? Uh, in this particular situation, they were stretched across 16 different crime scenes. What's your, is that a, something that we got to look at now?
4: Well... I I would suspect that in the coming months the RCMP will definitely look at rural policing because I'm dating myself here, but there's a marked difference between rural policing in 1975 when it started in rural uh, New Brunswick and now. And Chris, I invite your comments on this, but uh, uh, organized crime is migrating from urban areas to to rural areas as well, and uh, that is something that uh, needs to be uh, looked at because Rural policing is certainly not the way it used to be, and there ought to be discussions within the RCMP with different levels of government. And you're keenly aware also, Evan, of the fact that the RCMP is, is, has been uh, unionized, and there will be discussions in the coming months with regards to union representations and different uh, levels of government to discuss, I would imagine, rural policing and the appropriate level of resourcing with regards to, uh, to this particular type of policing.
0: Gents, uh, I know your thoughts and hearts are with the people of Nova Scotia as well. Yeah. I really appreciate that, Chris Lewis and uh, P.Y. Bourgeois. Good to see both of you with some interesting perspective, of course. Coming up, is it too early to think about reopening this country? Not for Saskatchewan. They plan to phase in a reopening on May the 4th. How will that work without a vaccine and adequate testing? The Saskatchewan Premier, Scott Moe, joins us next. Stay right here with Question Pure. May the 4th, that's the date Saskatchewan begins its five-phase plan to reopen its economy as cases of COVID-19 decrease in that province. Now, under the first phase, medical services like dentistry, optometry and therapy will be allowed to resume. Some leisure activities even, golf, fishing will be permitted. However, all of this comes with strict physical distancing and cleanliness guidelines. Restrictions will be lifted on other businesses and activities over time as long as the province doesn't see a significant rise of coronavirus cases. But how many is too many? And is the province back in business too soon? When could other provinces hope to reopen their economies? Let's find out. Saskatchewan Premier Scott Moe joins us now. Premier, first of all, I hope you and the family are doing well. Always a pleasure to speak with you. Uh, I know the curve has been flattened in Saskatchewan, but flattening the curve doesn't mean the COVID-19 virus is gone. It could flare up once physical distancing is over. So without mass testing in place without a vaccine how did you in the province come up with may the 4th to start a staggered reopening
2: well you're you're exactly right uh, the the threat of spread of the COVID 19 virus remains it remains in our communities here in saskatchewan as it does uh, across the nation and around the world and we need to uh, take every measure uh, both personally individually uh, with our social distancing with our Uh, hand washing using hand sanitizer to ensure that we're doing everything to stop the spread of this virus not only for our own health and safety uh, but for those of our family and in particular those uh, those elderly uh, folks our parents and grandparents in our communities and in our long-term care facilities as they are most uh, susceptible to some some serious consequences with this how we came to May the 4th uh, as our date was through uh, working yes with uh, business entities across the province but also Uh, with our our Chief Medical Health Officer, Dr. Shahab, our Saskatchewan Health Authority, our Ministry of Health. And this is a a plan to reopen segments of our economy, yes, um, but it is a plan that is driven with uh, public safety in mind, public uh, ensuring uh, that we are keeping our families uh, safe uh, in the weeks and months ahead. And it can be uh, turned up or or fast turned up, if you will, like that of a dimmer switch, Uh, but it can also be throttled back if need be. if not only our numbers uh, increase, but the source of those numbers is concerning.
0: But there, I'll give, so the, the first date is critical, but then there's only two weeks between phase one and phase two. Is that enough time given the fact that again, COVID-19 is asymptomatic, testing is really uh, two, low. Is that enough time to judge if the plan is working before you open up more restrictions in phase two or phase three?
2: Right. Uh, so phase one and phase two, we do have the dates out about two weeks apart. And uh, phase one is uh, really an expansion of our medical services, dentists, optometrists, things of that nature, where they are um, used to, as a course of the business that they do, uh, used to working the personal protection equipment, used to ensuring uh, uh, the safety of their their employees and their, their patients in any other year uh, to similar uh, communicable viruses like influenza, for example. Um, so. Uh, that, that that particular phase of uh, expanding our medical services is an area where uh, those those folks are used to uh, working uh, with this type of uh, this type of an environment uh, when we open our retail sector in phase two um, we will wait uh, some period of time uh, we're not sure how long that will be yet but it will right. be weeks at least uh, to ensure that we have a a good uh,
0: gauge of what is occurring uh, with our numbers but premier uh, you know I, you and i have spoken about this the prime minister has said the national border is federal responsibility but how provinces can reopen or close is provincial responsibility i understand that but but if without a national coordinated strategy and i understand the curve is different everywhere uh, the concern is when people say, oh, Saskatchewan's opening, you'll undermine trust in other physical distancing lockdown provinces. People will, I'll just coin a phrase here, pull a Saskatchewan, go to their cottage, which they're not supposed to do. They're doing it in Saskatchewan. I feel I can do it too. Could you be undermining the other rules in other provinces?
2: Uh, no, absolutely not. Uh, we, we have... Uh, in. in put orders in place across this nation at different times and in different methods, but we've done that in full consultation with other premiers. We have had our Council of Federation calls weekly for quite some time now, collaborating on which orders are going in, which uh, restrictions are going in. And we continue with those calls as recently as this past Thursday on which uh, restrictions are coming off, how those are coming off, and why those are coming off in certain jurisdictions versus, uh, right. versus other provinces. Uh, this, this is provincial in nature, and it is done uh, with full collaboration and support, I would say, from premiers across the nation.
0: Do you expect other provinces quickly to follow your model?
2: I suspect there will be provinces that will be coming forward very shortly with uh, their plan. I don't think it will differ very much from the plan that we have put forward. Some of them may due to regional differences.
0: You've seen the, uh, the devastation in the oil sector um, in Saskatchewan and Alberta, Newfoundland and Labrador. The government stepped up with some support over $2 billion. In your mind, does that sector need more government aid?
2: Uh, yes, uh, the, the support is appreciated across uh, across the board for uh, people in this nation as well as the, uh, the different industries and, and in particular the energy industry with the Orphan Well program. Uh, but The fact of the matter is this is an industry now that is in for temporary uh, time and negative uh, sale territory. I can't imagine uh, any other industry that's ever been faced with a challenge like that for a short period of time. Uh, the federal government, like previous federal governments, uh, stepped up for the auto sector with a liquidity package. That needs to happen for the energy sector, not just for Saskatchewan, Alberta or Newfoundland, but on behalf of all Canadians. Hmm. As This is a Canadian energy sector. It's important uh, to the economy across the nation. It's important to the wealth of all Canadians. So that needs to happen. It needs to happen sooner rather than later as well.
0: All right, i got to leave it there. Saskatchewan Premier Scott Moe, great to have you on the program. Appreciate it very much. Coming up next, though, as Nova Scotians grieve the loss of 22 people killed in the horrific wave of violence, questions are mounting. But how the gunman managed to plan his rampage and why the provincial government didn't send out an emergency alert about an active shooter earlier. The Scrum is here. A special guests will be former NDP leader and CTV commentator Tom Mulcair and the former finance minister and public safety minister, Ralph Goodale. Stay right here with Question Period. This investigation is only just beginning. There are many unanswered questions. Why did the province fail to send out uh, an emergency alert about the active shooter? That could that have saved lives? And how is the government able to plan his rampage, including acquiring real police gear, undetected? The Scrum is... Joining us now to weigh in, Annie Bergeron Oliver, a reporter with CTV News here in Ottawa. Joyce Napier, CTV News, Ottawa Bureau Chief joins us. Our special guests today are the former NDP leader and current CTV political commentator, Tom Mulcair, and the former Liberal Public Safety Minister, Ralph Goodale. Uh, Good morning to all of you. Another tough week in this country, Ralph Goodale. I just got to start with you. This used to be your file. A lot of supposed to be, we were supposed to have learned a lot of lessons from the tragedies in Mayerthorpe or Moncton. Why wasn't there a national policy as to when to use an emergency alert for communities?
1: Well, the uh, the, the system is a federal-provincial-private uh, sector system uh, that uh, has a different set of rules in terms of access uh, in each province. That's determined by uh, uh, by the the province. Uh, but I think uh, this uh, incident will will cause a reexamination of that around the. Uh, the table where federal, provincial ministers of public safety get together uh, to ensure that there is uh, consistent uh, and frictionless access uh, to uh, to the system across the across the country. Uh, some provinces have used it frequently, like uh, Ontario, Alberta, Saskatchewan. Uh, in the case of uh, of Nova Scotia, uh, it had actually not been used uh, uh, apart from this past week. Uh, so it, it's a it's a system that has great potential. Uh, we need to make it accessible and usable and effective in all circumstances everywhere in the country. And I'm sure all levels of government will be working to get that done.
0: Tom, okay, there's a lot here. There's the emergency issue. There's rural policing uh, funding and the model. What I, When you look at how this un- tragedy unfolded, what questions do you have?
6: You know, I guess like any other family member of a police officer one of my sons has been a police officer for over 20 years you receive that information like a punch in the gut it's horrible it's horrible for the dozens of other families that have been hit because of this tragedy beyond that i think that this is going to call into question the whole gun registry issue again i know that that's political kryptonite We've been through it a couple of times. Quebec held on to the registry information, but it does go to the safety of the public and of the police. When you're going to a house where there's been a signaling of a domestic violence, for example, you should be allowed to know whether or not there are guns on the other side of that door. I know that it's not a very popular topic and I know how tough it is for having lived it, but I honestly have to say, Evan, that the discussion is not just about what type of weapon to ban but whether or not police should have a right to know if there are weapons in any given
0: house. Joyce, uh, Justin Trudeau keeps promising, I'm going to have some kind of gun control. I've campaigned on it. We don't know the details. We don't know what they're going to ban. Does this now play a major factor?
7: Well, we've asked him that question um, several times about gun control since these tragic events, and you know his answer remains, yes, sure, it was something that we were going to bring to the House of Commons, but listen, the timing is terrible. Um, It's already difficult for them, for these parliamentarians to decide when they're going to sit, how they can sit virtually, how many times they have to sit in person, how many people should be sitting in the House of Commons. It's already a very complex file. Imagine now. Add to that the fact that it's COVID-19 time and everything seems to be suspended in midair. So good luck to, to, to the Liberal Party if they're going to try to introduce that and now. Um, although it may be, as, as Tom said, indeed necessary, it's probably just sad timing.
0: Yeah, Annie, we don't even know if, that, if the gun registry or any of this would have made a difference in this particular issue. You've been covering it, you've asked about it. What questions about this emerge for you?
8: Well, you're right, Evan. We don't know what type of gun this individual had, how he obtained them. We know that he may have had a long gun, that he was not able to get these guns in Canada. But now that question becomes, where is all of this from? How easy is it to get guns? And I think a lot of people are going to be looking to the federal government to introduce some type of legislation to try to toughen up these gun laws. But as you mentioned, there's no guarantee that the tougher gun laws would have prevented this tragedy because unfortunately, as the RCMP had pointed out in their press conference, people who want to get guns can still obtain them illegally. It's just a matter of finding them. So I think there's a lot of pressure on Trudeau to introduce this. But as Joyce said, not very good timing right now.
0: Yeah, Ralph, you, you, this used to be your file. I mean, you could uh, drive over the border to Maine or to New Hampshire, for goodness sakes. Uh, is that the issue? Is is that gun control, you know, gun registry is really going to make a difference here, or is it something else?
1: This is, this is an extremely uh, gruesome and complicated uh, set of circumstances. The worst uh, gun crime in Canadian history, coupled with 5 or 6 arsons, 22 tragic victims. Uh, this is uh, this is going to take some time uh, to be thoroughly investigated, both uh, in terms of the crimes that were committed and in terms of the police response to to the, the situation. The good thing, uh, if there is one in these terrible circumstances, Evan, is that both the Prime Minister and the Commissioner of the RCMP uh, have uh, made that very strong commitment that uh, they will get answers for the grieving families. They will get answers to satisfy the cause of justice. Uh, and this is going to be a, a long, detailed process to get that done.
0: Yeah, Tom, just last word on that. When we say we're going to get answers, I mean, we've all spoken to family members. Uh, it's, it's brutal. I mean, they're, they're going through a tragedy. But they want answers, and a lot of the answers is, again, it comes back to that alert. They did not feel that they got enough warning.
6: And that's exactly the type of thing that will have to be looked at, as Ralph just so ably described it. I think there was a little bit of a rush to judgment in the few hours after this tragedy to finger point and say, we knew what the problem was. We don't. Uh, We might have some inkling, but it's going to take somebody with a lot of credibility that everybody can trust to do a thorough analysis of this to make sure that we do understand where things went wrong and we can fix them for the future.
0: All right, guys, let me take a break. Uh, uh, We're all looking for answers there. There are... Uh, but coming up, Saskatchewan wants to have some segments of its economy up and running again by early May. May the fourth is the reopening of the national economy really on the horizon? And did a conservative leadership candidate cross a line by calling into question Dr. Theresa Tam's loyalty to Canada? The Scrum discusses all that next. Stay right here with Question Period. Treat your roof with spray and walk away. Remove moss,
1: mold, algae, and lichen from outdoor surfaces. Safe and easy to use. Simply spray on and walk away, while the formula and nature do the rest. Spray and walk away. Available at most home improvement centers.
0: As a hockey player, I love alerts like this. And if someone with type 1 diabetes, I love the Dexcom G6 because of its alerts and alarms. Not only can I set custom alerts for my glucose levels, I can get an urgent low soon alert to 20 minutes before a dangerous low.
7: Simple things make a difference when it comes to safety. That's why more and more Canadian seniors are choosing direct alert. Direct Alert units provide greater peace of mind at home or while you're on the go. And now Direct Alert is part of the TELUS Health family. And for a limited time, we're making it even easier for more Canadians to access 24-7 emergency support with savings of up to $180 every year on select units. Direct Alert by TELUS Health. Welcome to the family.
1: Folgers Dark roast coffees are rich,
4: bold, and dark. Dark like the moment you pull the covers over your head at the crack of dawn, Dark Folgers.
3: The price badges show a great price, a good price, if it's maybe a little bit above average.
1: When I take a look at good price and great price, I absolutely trust that on auto trader.
5: The Waterpik Water Flosser removes plaque from treated areas and is more effective than string flossing. Brushing only gets the surface, but the pick Water Flosser cleans the areas brushing may miss. The pick Water Flosser.
7: What's the
8: matter? I heard there were fleas out
0: here, and the ticks and mosquitoes.
5: Listen up, scary cats. We all have canine antiques <laughs> too to protect us. It kills fleas, ticks, and mosquitoes too. The Rio Marituna eating well Italian style is easy. High quality tuna combined with our finest olive oil, being tender and solid, with its unique aroma and taste. Enjoy the difference. Rio Marituna, real Italian taste.
6: Stay up to date with breaking details on the COVID-19 pandemic. Follow CTV News on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.
2: You're watching CTV News Channel.
1: in the coming months we will be able to loosen a number of the restrictions and rules that we have right now on personal mobility in certain sectors uh, on uh, on uh, you know on the economy
0: well it's been 7 weeks since the country entered a nationwide shutdown of non-essential services and implemented strict social distancing protocols but as the number of covid-19 infections in some provinces begins to stabilize plans are actually underway to reopen some segments Of the economy. Earlier in the program, we talked to Saskatchewan Premier Scott Moe about his plan to reopen that province's economy. New Brunswick is also starting to open some places like parks and beaches. But despite those provincial plans, the Prime Minister continues to maintain uh, this normal will not come back until a vaccine is developed, and he's trying to coordinate a national. Plan, are provinces like Saskatchewan acting prematurely? To talk about that and more. The Scrum is back to discuss that. And yes, we're still in physical distancing mode. Annie Bergeron, Oliver, Joyce Napier, and our special guest, Tom Mulcair and Ralph Goodale. Um, Annie, let me just start with you. You heard the Prime Minister talk about this. He's speaking to the premiers about uh, some kind of plan, but Scott Mo is kind of going ahead in Saskatchewan. What's your sense about this? He calls it a dimmer switch. It's not uh, fully on or off. It's a five-step plan.
8: Well, it's interesting because the Prime Minister said you need two major things to reopen the economy. He says you need mass testing anywhere between 50 to 60,000 tests a day. And right now the Prime Minister says we're at about 20,000. And the second thing he said is that we need adequate PPE so that businesses can reopen so that their staff feel comfortable going to work and also are able to feel protected. Well, we're still hearing from frontline workers that they are conserving their PPE, that they are still afraid of running out. And even though the government has ramped up domestic supply And they say plane loads of PPE are arriving next week. Frontline workers are still terrified. So by the government's own measures, it seems like the economy is not ready to be reopening yet. Although he did say, Evan, that this plan on how to reopen will really be done region by region where the outbreaks are much different.
0: Yeah, and Joyce, look, the provinces are in charge of it. It's their jurisdiction. But Justin Trudeau says he wants to have some kind of coordinated strategy. We don't have the testing. We don't have the vaccine. What's your take on this?
7: Once we start slowly going back to normal what will we need will masks be mandatory if so please tell us so i think it's time now to tell us we we know we should wash our hands tell us what's next tell us what we'll need because we will be have, having to go back to some some normalcy eventually and that's going to come pretty fast tom the
0: look i know that the curve is different in saskatchewan than it is in quebec or ontario i get that but does, does Saskatchewan's roadmap or New Brunswick's undermine efforts in other provinces?
6: That's the toughest thing that we're going through right now. Trying to know which set of experts we can rely on and we should trust and listen to. That's the challenge. Because right now, Theresa Tam and Ottawa is saying, be careful of this notion of herd immunity. That's the notion that the Quebec experts with Premier Legault were pushing as recently as Friday. So you simply don't know. The average Canadian doesn't know who to listen to
0: ralph the federal government's involved in provincial jurisdictions and things i never thought we'd see it's the biggest sort of uh, federal government involvement we've seen since the second world war especially at long-term care where the military's at some long-term care facilities uh does the how does the federal government do this these are provincial responsibilities the federal government's stepping up how do they do that to how does the federal government calibrate their response to something like long-term care homes
1: well, there's, there's two things. Uh, first of all, we are dealing with a national crisis, uh, which uh, necessitates uh, the active engagement of, uh, of all players, federal, provincial, uh, municipal, territorial, everybody working together, uh, basing their decisions and their actions on science, on the, uh, the, the, the sound advice that comes from chief uh, medical officers, and, and they are working in concert with each other across the country. Uh, they they have meetings uh, uh, or conversations at least uh, at least every day so it's the national emergency nature of this situation that draws everybody together uh, and it, the sooner that the, uh, the the prime minister and the premiers are able to agree on that national protocol or guidelines for gradually reopening uh, the economy and our way of life the sooner that's laid down the better uh, and uh, each province will have to assume its its own individual responsibilities, uh, but it needs to be based on science uh, and on the advice of the chief medical officers uh, in each each jurisdiction. Uh, can
0: we just talk about Derek Sloan, the Conservative MP, but he's also a leadership candidate. This merits conversation because of the position. The guy wants to lead the party. He put out a Facebook video this past week criticizing Canada's chief public health officer, Dr. Theresa Tan. Look, it's fair to criticize her decisions. It's Anybody can be criticized. But was this fair when he asked this question?
1: One of the issues with uh, Justin Trudeau's handling of this uh, situation has been his reliance on the advice of Dr. Theresa Tam. Theresa Tam, uh, we sent an email out today asking, does she work for Canada or for China?
0: All right, Tom Mulcair, it's one thing to criticize Dr. Theresa Tam of WHO, but he's asking about her loyalty to Canada. Did he cross a line, and should Andrew Scheer have come, he barely said anything about it, should he have come down harder on Mr. Sloan?
6: He clearly crossed the line. There's no question that he was questioning her ethnic origin as part of this debate. And that's unseemly in Canada. I've never seen that before, somebody going so clearly after someone's origins and saying can we trust her because maybe she's serving the Chinese because of course her origins are from Hong Kong I've never seen anything like it Andrew Scheer should have disciplined him clearly because he's still the leader of the party He's still the head of that caucus Will the people who are taking care of this leadership race want to deal with him? I think that mr. Sloan knows that he's going to finish last in this race and he was trying to go out in a blaze of glory probably wanting to get thrown out as a candidate to show that he had the better ideas. For the time being, him trying to deny the racist content of that statement is like Donald Trump trying to say that when he said people should inject themselves with, with disinfectants, that he was just being sarcastic.
0: Uh, all right, yeah, that was something we could play that clip. Uh, Joyce, what about you? What's your sense of Mr. Sloan?
7: Look, I'm a free speecher, and I think if Mr. Sloan has these ideas, he should say them. He is catering to a certain base, let's not kid ourselves, Um, and I think that he's not the only one who feels that way, was it a racist comment? Yes, slightly, Uh, but we should remember perhaps that Mr. Sloan also thinks that LGBTQ is a choice, he intimated that several times, and that nothing that a little bit of therapy can't cure. So, you know, these are the ideas that he's putting out there. He is a conservative, a leadership candidate, and perhaps he's catering to a certain base.
0: Uh, Annie, what did you make of uh, Andrew Scheer's response and, and, the re- and the response in general to this kind of questioning? Does she work for Canada or does she work for China?
8: Well, I think that Mr. Shear's response on this was fairly weak. He was basically hiding behind a no comment saying he didn't want to weigh in. But I think this was an opportunity for Mr. Shear to show some leadership. He is the outgoing leader. He doesn't have a lot to lose. And a number of his MPs have already gone to Twitter saying that the comments by Mr. Sloan were completely inappropriate. Many saying that they were racist and intolerant. So why Mr. Shear is hiding behind this no comment, I'm not 100% sure. This person is in the leadership. He is somebody who wants to become prime minister, but he's also a member of the Conservative caucus of which Andrew Scheer is the leader.
0: Yeah, Ralph Goodell, I just want people, because I get a lot of Twitter action on this, criticizing Dr. Theresa Tam's decision, whether she did something too late or too early or the WHO, that's fair game. That's not racist. Nobody says that. I want to really focus on the particular question that Mr. Sloan asked. Is she working for Canada or China? Does that merit more attention, Ralph Goodale, and, and what do you reckon Mr. Shear should have done?
1: Well, very clearly he, uh, he should have uh, reprimanded this MP for a remark that diminishes and demeans the entire uh, Conservative Party. Uh, in a crisis situation, uh, you see the best of people, as we see among our healthcare workers and our chief medical officers across the country. Uh, sadly, you also see the worst of people. Uh, the remark was clearly over the line. It was racist. Uh, it was out of bounds. I remember in previous uh, leadership contests when there was an interim leader in the Conservative Party, Rona Ambrose, uh, did not shy away from from uh, taking Kelly Leach to task for uh, remarks that were uh, across the line and cast a pall on the entire Conservative Party. Uh, Mr. Shear may be on his way out, uh, but he's still custodian of the party in that period of time. And he has allowed the party to be damaged by, by uh, seeming to uh, condone or at least not con- condemn a set of remarks that were clearly wrong and offensive.
0: Uh, interesting. Michelle Rample, Michael Chong, Eric Duncan and among uh, other Conservative MPs were very open about that. All right, guys, I, I got to leave it there. Joyce, Annie, Ralph, and Tom, always good to see you. Now, I know all of you, and, and I hope all of you watching tonight at 6.30 p.m. on CTV will watch the Stronger Together concert. Look, this features 70 iconic Canadians from the worlds of music, sports, television, comedy, literature, Justin Bieber, Ryan Reynolds, Mike Myers, Pascal Siakam, Serge Ibaka, many, many others are all showing their support for frontline workers in the battle against covid 19 it should be a great show we're looking forward to watching that but something powerful happened on Friday night and we're gonna leave you with that today this is a video from the incredibly powerful Nova Scotia remembers virtual memorial to the 22 victims in the mass shooting in Nova Scotia and the extraordinary musician Natalie McMaster decided to play alongside the recording of one of the victims Emily Tuck, Emily 17, was playing, there's a video of her playing fiddle the last time. She and her parents were both gunned down. And Natalie played this extraordinary tribute. This is from Nova Scotia Remembers, as we hold in our hearts all the victims from that tragedy. We'll see you again in seven days.